I'm at my mom's house. She barely has liquor here. <laughs> Every time I go visit my folks, I bring my bottle of rum with me. You should. I'm, so I'm like true. a pirate. Yo, and a bottle of rum. <laughs> That's spirituality for you. <laughs> That's how the show opens, by the way. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha. Hello. And Jason. Hey. This week, we are doing something special. We've invited one of our other very best friends, Roseni, to talk to us about spiritual and emotional wellness. Hi, Roseni. Hi. I want to point out that Jason is sitting directly across from me, right? We are both in New York, and Trish is actually in Philadelphia. And Roseni, where are you? Washington, D.C. East Coast. So you're in D.C. You're the Jason of the podcast for now. Yes. Um, (laughs) Although no one can... No one can be the Jason of the podcast, but Jason. Oh, oh that was sweet, Rosanny. Not God, clear what she meant you. by that, but there it is. <laughs> so. I'll take it as a compliment. That's how I'm going to take it. Rosanny, we're so excited to have you on, and we are so excited to have this conversation with you. Can you start off by just telling us a little bit about what is it that drew you to this topic, and why should we listen to you about it? I'm a licensed clinical social worker in Washington, D.C., in private practice. I have been a spiritual seeker since I was, as long as I can remember. Like, honestly, I remember thinking about God as a kid at the age of seven. Like, I don't think what you people are telling me is right. And since then, I studied it in college, uh, theology and religion in a very methodical way. And I've read books from every discipline and spiritual inquiry that, well, not every, but lots of them. Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, mysticism broadly, um, new thought thinkers. So from a lot of different perspectives, and I have a lot of thoughts. Can't wait to hear them. Nah. Yeah. So just give them all to us right now. Go. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that hey, can, I, fun. can I ask, Roseni, if you could, I remember a while back, you shared with me, since you referenced your childhood, what your name meant to you when thinking about heaven and being called. Would you share that with the listeners? Jason, <laughs> your memory's not supposed to be that good. We told you we had gotcha questions along with the <laughs> that, other that was one prepared of my, questions. So. I have another one, but that's the first one. Oh, Lord. So I used to think that if God ever got on like uh, the AV system from heaven and was like calling Roseni, calling Roseni, I'd be the only one that's able to answer. (laughs) Okay. So now I have several questions. (laughs) That's just, uh, it's just a weird visual. Like God would be like, Oh boy. And he'd stumble into his office. Like that principal's microphone be like paging Roseni. Yes. But isn't it beautiful that like Rosetti wasn't like, Mom, why did you name me a name that no one else has? She was like, God's going to know it's me. <laughs> I love that story. Super practical. The other the other interesting thing, though, is, is that as a young adult, I had a friend start teaching me Hebrew because I said, well, if the end times come, I want to be able to read whatever God's writing. <laughs> 
Rosini's prepared. You would think He's God prepared. would be a polyglot, but no. <laughs> nope. He's like, want, he's like Hebrew, and yes. then I stopped learning new languages. <laughs> God's like me, monolingual. <laughs> so, so what, how would you define spiritual emotional wellness? Like, what does that mean to be well spiritually, emotionally? How do you take a spiritual temperature? To have an idea about something that is bigger than you as an individual and to actively engage in cultivating a relationship with that idea. That is what it means to be well. So what's nice about that is that I I haven't heard any mention of a particular religion. Right. I mean, I think it even it even makes room for like people who are atheists. Right. Because at least you still have an idea and that idea informs your view of the world and you still want to understand your place in all of it. Right. So, yes, there's no religion because the idea is fluid. What what my spiritual inquiry has really convicted me of most recent within the last five years is that God will be whatever you think God is. And when I use that word God, that's just that's because I have to rely on the English language for a word. And that's the word that we've given it. Like, I don't mean the God of Abraham. I don't mean Jesus's God. I don't mean any particular entity. I just mean the idea that we ascribe to a force that's bigger than us that we sometimes attribute all of creation to or not. But it's this idea that there's something bigger than you and you have a relationship to it. That's it. My, my name's Chris. I'm an avowed atheist. The thing is that... <laughs> Why is that part of sort of a wellness construct? The idea that in the cosmology of the universe, you are smaller or less than or part of and that there's something greater than you. Why would you say that that's part of a a well ideology? No. So I said that this is what spiritual wellness is. Yeah. I'm not saying that you need to have these ideas to be well. Now I'm intrigued because... Yeah, I mean, you you can have whatever ideas you want. What does spiritual unwellness look like? Like if you're disconnected from what? Like what does the idea of being like spiritually unwell mean? I don't know that I have an idea of spiritual unwellness. I don't think there's such Mm -hmm. a thing because the process, the journey itself, right? The agitation that one experiences when one might be unwell, with air quotes, Mm -hmm. spiritually, still leads you towards growth still leads you to deeper understanding right and so as long as there's still a relationship there then you're well Mm -hmm. so i don't know that there's an idea in my mind of spiritual unwellness Mm -hmm. and i also wouldn't say that you need to think about spirituality to be well if you never think about these thoughts it doesn't really matter the world evolves around you i mean clearly what you're describing i think the way I would say it is, at least on the individual level, is that there's forward progress, there's forward advancement, kind of in spite of where you may be on that journey, as you said. How do you think about that collectively? Like in a historical context, would you say society writ large throughout the world is evolving in a positive way from a spiritual standpoint. I mean, I think at any given moment in history, including now, one could probably find evidence 
of both answers to that question, right? Mm -hmm. So how would you think about that? There's a saying, I don't know who taught this, but it's to say that when you look at, um, let's say a rug, like a hand woven rug, and the front side, the side that we're supposed to see is like beautifully laid out and symmetrical and perfect to our eyes. But then when you turn around and look at the other side, it's just a bunch of knots and gnarls and strings pulling in all directions. And it looks like a hot mess, you know. And so I think at any moment in time, those two realities coexist. You know, I mean, since Jesus left, they thought the world was going to end right away. They thought the end times were then. And they had evidence according to what was happening in their time 2,000 years ago to justify why those were the end times. And people are still saying the same thing today. And then you also have people that say, like, these are the worst times. And then there's people that say these are the best times, you know. And so I personally would rather be born today than 500 years ago. I mean, you're also black. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) I prefer to be born where I was not five minutes earlier. (laughs) Right. And and, and I'm also a woman, right? So, Mm -hmm. like, for a whole lot of reasons, I'd rather. But even, like, evolution or even my dad, you know, my dad's 83 years old, who plays a lot into all of this for me, all of this spiritual inquiry for me. But he's 83. He grew up in a time when there were no, like, there were dirt floors and, you know, that he didn't have pants until he was six or seven, you know, like, he didn't have shoes until he was 10. Like, I'm, we're doing way better off than he was, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so as a society as a whole, um, I, I, I think it's a, it's forward motion. Can you talk a little bit about that for yourself too, though? A little bit about like maybe your journey. Maybe when, you know, we've known each other for quite some time. And I think when we first started talking, there was a sort of heavy Christianity mm-hmm. in our influence and in mm-hmm. our conversations. And can you talk a little bit about that evolution for you? Yeah, I mean, so as I said, with like when I was a kid, I just didn't really buy this shtick that G- God created all these people, but only the ones that followed Jesus would go to heaven. That just never made sense to me. But I continued to study because the philosophy, I, I got the sense that there was a philosophy behind what Jesus was saying that was very powerful and full of truth. And so I continued to pull at that thread. That led me to, I was more leaning towards Buddhism, but still very Christian influenced. And I mean, the parts of Christianity why I continue to say that I'm a Christian is that Jesus's word for God was Abba, A-B-B-A in the Amoraic, which meant father, but in an intimate sense, like daddy. And there was an intimacy with, with which he referred to God that just wasn't typical of the time. And I really got the sense that Jesus was asking us to build a personal relationship with God. I was also exposed to the Nag Hammadi texts and realizing, I might not have pronounced that right, but then realizing that Jesus's teachings was much more than the four gospels. In my studies at Georgetown, I took a class called Christology, which, and Christology is our idea of Christ. And you see that it evolves over time so that the first gospel that's in the canon, the four gospels, is Mark. And that was written less than 50 years, like within 30, 40 years, you know, who really knows, but closer, that's the closest to him actually being on the planet. And that story starts with Jesus being baptized and ends with his crucifixion on the cross. And then Luke and Matthew came along about 75 years after Jesus walked the planet there, they have his childhood. 
and then after the crucifixion. And then John is the last gospel written about a hundred years after Jesus walked the earth. And then now he's here from the beginning of time and then out into the ends of time, right? So the Christology, our idea of the Christ evolved once he left, like his story became bigger and bigger and bigger. And so for me, that called into question the whole thing. But what it never called me to question was the philosophy and was this essence of maintaining or developing or cultivating a relationship with God. And so to that end, you know, I've studied new thought ideas that really talk about how we create our world through our thinking, which I think is a lot of what Jesus was trying to get at through the parables. And now as a therapist, I mean, cognitive behavioral therapy, if anything, tells you that what you think influences how you feel, influences what you do, and influences the world that you create around you. So, And I see it unfold time after time after time for my clients. That is really how it's evolved from Christianity to now more spirituality, where my primary spiritual practice is meditation. I try to meditate every day. See, I can never meditate. I always end up falling asleep. That's a good thing. Is it? Oh, I'm doing yeah. it right. Because well, I'll sit and I'll get quiet. And the next thing I know, I wake up 10 minutes later. I'm like, oh, this didn't work. So, I mean, I know how to nap. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> I don't think that's what's supposed to be happening. Well, the, there's a lot of benefits that you can get from meditation. But one of them is decreasing resistance. And by so if if if. If I were to say that there's such a thing as spiritual and wellness, Chris, it would be cultivating a philosophy where the world is against you, right? Where God is working against you, where God is punishing you for whatever, you know, or like when things aren't working out in your favor, which are all of these thoughts are very much like anxious thoughts, you know, like the, these thoughts that things, somebody's out to get me, paranoid thoughts. Where even without being too paranoid, just, oh, they must be talking about me. I must have done something wrong. That kind of theos, that kind of theology would be the closest I could get to, to spiritual unwellness, although I don't really like that term. Mm -hmm. Meditation helps you stop that chatter. Like it gives you respite from all of those thoughts. And if you're taking a nap, take a nap. Done. <laughs> Although it might mean you're not getting enough sleep. I, that may be the main takeaway. That could be. That could be. So I have to ask Rosanny, Marianne Williamson. Yeah, what about her? Will you be voting for her? No. Uh, what, what do you well, think? Well, no, I am interested. So, so look, I, and I full disclosure to the listeners, I feel like I've learned a lot from Rosanny in terms of spirituality. Like a lot. And I've read a lot of the books she's recommended. We, we have at times gone to like the same Center for Spiritual Living. And Marianne Williamson, like I've really enjoyed reading her over the years. And I've found her pretty profound. And, and I'll just now. <laughs> no, I am I, I, struggling in terms of how to think about her candidacy as president. It's strange to me to have a spiritual teacher running for president and you know it was hard after the first debate there was a lot of mockery of her which was unfortunate because again i think she's brilliant but i don't know that means she's a strong candidate for president you have any thoughts 
I mean, a lot of people are president and they shouldn't, they weren't, they, we didn't think they were strong candidates, right? Yeah, a lot like, of people, one in particular. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, like, what, as far as I'm concerned, the bar has been moved. I don't watch the debates because one of the spiritual principles I live by is there's nothing more important than that I feel good. And those debates just don't make me feel good. So when, when it's narrowed down a little bit more, I'll try to pay more attention. I have, though, appreciated seeing her being interviewed on a variety of shows. I feel like when she has a platform by herself and is able to speak, she, she makes a lot of sense. She has a lot of good points. If, if all she does is influence the conversation into to a place that's more holistic, that thinks of the bigger picture, that is positive in nature. So, for example, instead of talking about health insurance, we're talking about, or health, we're talking about wellness, right? Instead of talking about sick people, we're talking about how to keep people well. If, if that's all she does, I think she's a brilliant part of the whole scheme. And I don't know where she'll go. I'm not counting her out. I hope I, I hope she does go out though. Um, I think my question. <laughs> you hope that she do she does. Is, is that what you no, said? because you know what I think actually one of the things I think is really interesting about introducing Marianne Williamson in this conversation is because a lot of the critiques about Marianne Williamson has come from the way that she has approached health for people. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, the dialogue that she's been able to engage in has put so much personal responsibility on the on individuals for their wellness that in many ways she was detrimental to gay men living with HIV and AIDS in the 80s and a lot of um and a lot of women who felt like they were dealing with depression and put on you know a lot of onus on that and so i've always had a little bit of the tension i think between sort of this pursuit of wellness and personal responsibility and where do you, where do you see that? Um, how do how do we sort of um, reconcile that? Because I I, I think because in many ways what you you've also sort of identified is like you know your thoughts become things, right? And I think when translated for people who have severe mental illness, that could be very problematic. I would not use someone with severe mental illness mm-hmm. as the benchmark to, s- to establish a system. Yeah. Like, you know, we'll always need a safety net for folks who have severe anything. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. And those and we, we should always be prepared as a society to take care of anyone with severe anything. As far as personal responsibility. Now, I, I will admit that I'm ignorant about her role with the HIV AIDS issue in the 80s or her comments regarding women in depression. And that's the thing is that my brand of spirituality or what I have come to embrace is a personal and individual relationship. It is a personal responsibility. It is that you create the world that you live in. And I understand that it is hard to take personal responsibility when you're like, but the world that I'm living in sucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I've lived in a world that in my, of my own creation that sucked. Yeah. And at that moment in time, I, I don't know that I would have been wanting to hear it, mm-hmm. but I, I had a desperate desire that things could be better. Mm-hmm. And so I kept asking the questions and the questions the only place of empowerment is one where we are personally responsible. Otherwise, you are subject to whomever's whims. Yeah. So this is the thing, because I always think of myself as like a anti-religious, anti, not anti-spiritual person, but 
what you, from what you're saying, and I have known you for a long time, back when you were hardcore Christian, you know, you hardcore. <laughs> like just, just, oh, the listeners could see know. Rosetti right I don't now. even oh, know my if we could define her that way. Well, I mean, no, I in, think in, that's in comparison well, to that's where she's hilarious. ended up. Oh, like, oh, well. In comparison to where she's ended up today, like yeah, she's yeah. more hardcore Christian. In the culture, there's this discussion of spirituality, like it's very like, you know, like the secret. Like our thoughts become things. Like our motivation is the primary. It's in conversation with the universe, you know, um, the universe with a capital U, which is like, you know, oh, the universe wants me to do this. Universe wants me to do that. And I'm a, I'm a big idea of that. I'm always like, listen, the things that are in front of me are the things that are supposed to be in front of me and I can deal with them, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, is that still spirituality? Because it feels like really, it feels highly personal and individualistic. You know, like it seems very, um, dare I say, self-involved and self-congratulatory to think that the universe is responding to my whims. Do you have any idea, like any thoughts about that? Well, so first, um, hardcore Christian was never me, but I was way more Christian. Like, that's all I knew. That's mm-hmm. all I knew. We've been friends for a very long time now. And at the time, I, did, I had no language. Now, regarding those spirituality and this idea that thoughts create things, I mean, I think spirit is about that which we can't quantify, which we can't measure and name and, and, and put in a box. That's spirit. So spirituality is attempting to understand, or as I keep saying, cultivate a relationship with that which can't be seen or measured or, you know. And so like, I mean, even quantum physics, when you, when you start to get into quantum physics, people have been trying to come up with the God code forever, right? Like, can we use science to prove the existence of God? These are questions that legit scientists have been asking. And the truth, like what quantum physics will tell you is that the smallest particle that they can observe, that it is not solid, it doesn't stop moving until you observe it. Until the moment that you observe it, the thing is just vibrating. So everything that we think is real is it's an illusion. I mean, it sounds Buddhist, but that's what science is showing us. Furthermore, oh, my new favorite book, Chris, my new favorite book, How Emotions Are Made. I have to get you the author. But she talks about how like how our brain constructs ideas, well, really emotions and how everything is understood within context and that everything that you experience is a hypothesis that your brain came up with based on previous data points. Sometimes the hypotheses are right. Sometimes they're wrong. Either way, it's your reality. Yes, it's very personal. Yes, it's very individual, but it doesn't make it any less spiritual. Wow. What's what's also I've been convinced of stuff just now. Wow, <laughs> wow. Rosani. <laughs> but you know what I'm curious about? Maybe this is in some ways related to Jason's question, but what does this look like if as a group, as a group of us, as a community? Mm, I I stay away from those thoughts mm-hmm. because I, th- I think our desire as individuals to be understood and to connect with others is profound and it's deep so much so that we will sacrifice our own thoughts, our own beings, our own well-being, our own sense of self in order to fit in. Mm-hmm. And the that mass thinking can be detrimental to our individual alignment with our own spirit, our own souls. Mm -hmm. 
And there's nothing more important that you be aligned with who you really are. I love if, this. I love everything you're saying. Thank you, Craig. I really do. Like this I'm is, really, this I'm really not saying it because you love it, but <laughs> I know. But like, I just, I didn't know that I would agree this much. Yeah, I was just gonna say I would not have predicted that this topic would get Chris. I have to say, like when this. I saw it on the schedule, I was like, oh god. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> but. But I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation. Uh, I wanted to ask you, right, you talked a little bit about your background and your childhood. But, like, when you think about your arrival where you are now and thinking about spiritual, emotional wellness, like, what part did your womanness, your blackness, your Latinaness play into that? How did those, those parts of your identity play into where you arrived, do you think? One of the teachers that I listen to, they talk a lot about contrast. So like the difficult, the all the difficult parts of life being the result of contrast, you know, so when two stones, for example, rub up against each other and they cause friction, right? And so when you have an argument with some a loved one, that's contrast. When you might witness a traumatic event, that's contrast. So my blackness, my Latina-ness, my womanness, all of that has been very much a part of what has been beautiful about life, but also given me a whole lot of contrast. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's yeah, great. Like that a whole <laughs> lot of contrast. As did growing up in East New York, Brooklyn, you know, which at that time was one of the most violent places in the country, you know, as did going to a predominantly white university coming from Brooklyn where I was surrounded by black and Latino and Caribbean kids. And then being, you know, amongst these white kids who knew I didn't belong there, according to them, of course. Mm -hmm. So all of that contrast really put me in a place of yearning and wanting more and and believing that there had to be more to life. Specifically though, black Latina woman, I think the biggest notion that it provided was like this idea that the fulfillment of my life would be motherhood and wifedom. And I just always knew that like there has to be more to life than just being a wife and a mom, you know? And there's nothing limiting about being a wife and a mom. I want to be clear about that. It is an awesome expression of life. But I was raised in an environment where if you weren't those things, then you weren't really a, a woman. You weren't really a yeah. person actively wanting to craft a life for myself that was beyond those roles very much put me on a path of spiritual inquiry. Okay. In wrapping up, what do you want people to know? Like if, if someone was like, Oh, this podcast is too long. Like just what are the main (laughs) points? Like, what do you want someone to take away from when they think about spiritual, emotional wellness? Um, Life can be better than it is for you right now. And you need not do anything to earn that. Like, because you are human, you deserve to have the life of your dreams, whatever you can conceive of. And if you just allow yourself, give yourself permission to receive those things, it will come to you. It will come to you. And like Jesus said, knock on the door, we're in this in the New Testament. Knock on the door and it shall be opened. Like, you know, you have to knock on the door. So you have to want something. You have to have desires. You have to want. So give yourself permission to want and give yourself permission to know that life can be as big or as small as you want it to be. And it doesn't have to be big. 
you know, we don't all have to be Oprah. It's okay. But, you know, whatever you want your life to be, it can be. And it, it's yours for the having. You, you don't have to ask permission. You don't have to pray. You don't have to get on your knee. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do any of those things. Just know that it can be better and it will be better. All you have to do is allow it to be better. That, that's awesome. I'd applaud, but it would mess up the audio. And that doesn't uh, sound like enough effort for me. <laughs> there, you know, there's definitely some people who'd be like, mm, no, that's not it. There's not enough praying or wailing. You know, the, the, exactly. People very much feel like they have to burn and hurt <laughs> to deserve it. Yeah. But that's exactly it. It's like, it, like our biggest hangup is that we believe that we have to work for everything. Because in the working of it, like, you know, we all want to be that, that nursery school rhyme of the little boy who pulls out the plum on his thumb and says, what a good boy am I? Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants to have that experience, you know? Like, I did something. Okay, y'all can do it the hard way. I'm here to do it the easy way. Okay. But what you said is such a it's such a in, interesting Western calculation, right? Because there is very much built into the space of did you work hard enough for this? Did you earn it? Or did you deserve it? Right. So it's it's fascinating to have this sense of like letting go. And to actually say that to someone out loud, I can already feel the resistance from the audience. What? <laughs> well, forget the audience, like just our personal resistance here at this table. Like it's, it does feel a little bit like, you know, I mean, that's very much my personal philosophy. Like whatever I want, I just get it. Like there's just not a lot of, I don't punish myself for wanting things or getting them. So, but overcoming that resistance is really hard. And when I share that philosophy with people, they're like, oh, it can't be that easy. I'm like, why not? Why can't well, it be that easy? But, but that's the thing is that we're so invested in this idea in Western society, you know, like like actors or people that do things, they'll always be like, yeah, it was so hard. I struggled so much. But that's just a story because I know enough about the three of the three of you and me on this call and the things that we enjoy the most just kind of fell into our laps. Yeah, we just, we all... there was no striving, no like you know. I didn't, oh, I didn't plot and scheme. It was just like, and then I turned the corner, and there the thing was. Yeah. Well, there was definitely this idea of falling in sync with yourself, and I think that most people, if they could imagine a time when things felt very smooth and seamless, it very much is that. Like you're like, wait a minute. Should I be should I be enjoying this as much as I'm enjoying this? That you know, there is definitely that question that yes. comes up, right? right? And so I I I'm I'm really sort of really kind of becoming excited by the notion of being more receptive. Yeah, and th- because the, the truth of it is that the better it gets is the better it gets, and the worse it gets is the worse it gets. That's when understanding the laws of the universe, spirituality, whatever you want to call it, is really beneficial. Because then you know that what you give your attention to grows. So when you start focusing on the things that feel good, you get more things that feel good. And then all of a sudden stuff becomes effortless and easy. And when, or like, like I said earlier, God will be whatever you say God is. So if you have a doctrine, a dogma of, I must work hard and earn everything. Yes, that's exactly what it'll be. You will work hard and have to earn everything and everything will come hard to you. You play the game however you want. But it is validating, right? Because it. it would be validating to you. If I gave you something yes. and you had that mindset, 
you wouldn't think you deserved it. Yes. Yes. Awesome. You know, I just want to say this is reminding me one form of spirituality I've studied is Kabbalah or Kabbalah. And you said something just now, Tricia, about receiving the the term Kabbalah comes from Hebrew verb likabel, which is to receive. And Kabbalah teaches God is the force of giving. It's not that God gives because you did something right, like God is giving. And what we need to learn how to do is receive. Like, that's it. Just learn how to receive. I love it. I love it. Oh, we're going to go out on that. But before we go, Rosani, do you have a recommendation, something that you think people should see, hear, read, or experience to broaden their ideas about this topic? There's so many recommendations. I really love um, Joseph Campbell's The Power of Myth. I really love Abraham Hicks, anything by Abraham Hicks. Um, Ask and it is given is like their 101 work. I really love there's so much. I mean, that's plenty to get people started. Yeah, I think those two places. I mean, and the 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 Bible, the teachings of Jesus, it's right there in front of you. Rosani, thank you so much for chatting with us. This was uh, epic. I'm now a spiritual person. That's all tough. Oh my goodness! <laughs> what? That's all tough. Do you get some sort of commission or? Do I give your name at the checkout or give their number? (laughs) She's only Rosani, so that's all you have to say. (laughs) She's been giving and you've been receiving. I've been receiving. (laughs) You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. You guys are wonderful. This is so much fun. Thank you so much. And until next time, everyone. Bye. Bye.